War Podcast, episode 11, go. Round two. We do it again. Because someone wanted to record on their laptop. Dylan. Electric Boogaloo. That's not a response. Own your mistake. I, I, we lost 45 minutes. Of my life that I can never get back. Hi, Dylan. You could have spent it worse. Huh? You could have spent it worse. Mm. What, could have you, what could have you done words with those 45 minutes? Like in general? Yeah, just like... Eaten. <laughs> drank. Drank. Copious amounts of alcohol. There's a lot of things I could do with 45 minutes. On a Wednesday evening? You... Oh, ye of little faith. Hi, Dylan. Hi. How are you? I'm great. Today is... No, we don't ever say the date. Never mind. We can. Yeah, if we're going to start doing that, we got to figure a day that we're going to actually start recording. Okay. Uh, so you'll never know what the day is. It's what... episode 11. It was recorded in October. We have 10 other podcasts that are still not on a website. We need to put them on a website. We will. We need to do that, like, soon. Keep recording all these things. They're going to lose relevance. <sighs> That's why you don't you know why you don't follow the news too closely. Look at these articles. Some of them are like a week and a half old. That's fine. Yeah, but ah, oh, oh dear, what are what have we done? This is a massive mistake. Start over. No, no. <laughs> okay, just kidding. Oh God. Uh, Put the fears in me. All right, who are we? What do we do? We make ward stuff. Wardgames.com. We are two aspiring. Ward-games.com. We are two aspiring game developers. Yeah. Currently in school. Yeah. Working on stuff. Yeah. Both extracurricular and the opposite of extracurricular. What does that curricular mean? I guess. Oh. Yeah, the curricular stuff doesn't matter. It only takes up most of our time. Yeah. I mean, it's cool, but it's a means to an end for me at least. No, that's cool. No, no, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> I don't know. Why am, I, why am I here? Why are any of us here? Well, until I make something that fills the hole in my heart, I'll keep plugging away. Left by. Mm, that 45 minutes hole. Never getting it back. Yeah, and I'll, never, find, I'll never be happy. Lost to the void. All right, Dylan, what have you been doing this week? I've been writing. I've been working on my screenplay some more for my class. I've been programming... For artificial intelligence, neurons that don't work. What does that mean? So, I don't know, a lot of that class is kind of, not exactly over my head, but vague. So, I'm still wrapping my head around it. But basically, there's this concept of an artificial neuron for neural networks. And they kind of look, work the same way logic gates to do. So you have a single neuron, and there's a threshold. And there are inputs, and there's a single output. And the output is a 1 or a 0. Or it can be a one, negative one, however you want to put it. It's usually binary. But it'll have a threshold of a certain input, and if something goes above that threshold, then it will output a one. If it's below that threshold, it's a zero. So using a single neuron, just adjusting the threshold, you can create all the logic gates. So you can create an AND gate, you can create an OR gate, you can create a NOT gate. And AND, OR, NOT are the three basic logic gates of all transistors. Mm -hmm. So with those, you can create memory, you can create flip-flops, you can create any any modern computer. It's just those three transistors. And the brain, you can simulate neural networks, you can simulate logic the same way. So for this past assignment, we had to take 4,000 pieces of data, and 2,000 of them were male and 2,000 of them were female. And so the previous assignment, I had to create a random number generator 
that used standard deviation metrics like Gaussian standard deviations to create just random males and females in their heights and weights. And so I created 2,000 males and 2,000 females, and then I plotted that. And so you had a huge cloud of males and a huge cloud of females, and I had to create a line that best divided them across this 2D plane. Of course, there was some overlap because you say, okay, everything above this line is male, everything below this line is female, but there's some overlap. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to catch everything perfectly. And then you calculate your error using, you know, you just hand drawing a line. And my error was about like 20, 25%. And for this assignment, we take that same data and try to make a neuron adjust the line itself. So oh, that's you, cool. Yeah, so you make it make up a random line. And then it constantly checks each individual point and makes the line better. In theory, problem was my line never got good. Oh really? So there was a, so the line was like so these were the two plots of data. So it was like the female cloud was in the lower left part of the graph and the male cloud was in the upper right part. The line like skewed sideways next to them, so it ran positively, but it kind of just sat on top of both of them and mm. didn't divide them at all. And I have no idea why, because I put in all these fail safes to see calculate the error and calculate the true positives and true negatives and false positives and false negatives and it was saying oh your error is one percent or point zero one percent but it was still not anywhere close to that hmm. so i have no idea so i had to turn the assignment in saying like hey this is what i got i have no idea what the problem is i understand the methodology behind this hmm. i hope you take pity on me and i want to learn more about this but Right now, it's not working. And then there are different types of functions. So there's what's called a hard activation function. And this is all using something called a perceptron uh, algorithm. And then there's a hard version of it and a soft version of it. And the hard version is basically very binary. So it's like yes or no. This is where the line is. Everything above this should be male. Everything below this should be female. And then the softer one is kind of more indicative of how humans think. It, it adapts. Mm-hmm. It understands that there's there's fluidity to the... There's going to be overlap, like it understands it more and tries to adapt accordingly. But uh, I was still hazy on a lot of the stuff. Yeah, and then in class we learned about A-star algorithms. A-star. Yeah. I know about A-star. Yeah, and that was cool. We had a guest professor come in because our current professor's out of town, and he taught us about searching algorithms. And so we went through the basic ones, which are like breadth first search, depth first search, iterative deepening. Mm-hmm. And then you got into the really interesting ones like A star, which uses heuristics, and that was really cool. And like, and A star is a very common algorithm used for pathfinding in video games. So once he finally explained what heuristics were to me and what A star, how A star works, I was like, awesome! I can immediately see how this is applied. As long as you pick the proper heuristic. Well, heuristics come up a lot in uh, design too, doing like how you divide up stuff and like, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. We learn a lot of heuristics, but not not in the programming regard. Right. But like when you're doing like user journeys and like personas and stuff, figuring out who your audience is. Well, it's like they kept dropping the term, but never defining it. So it was like, oh, you just use heuristics, right? Like, what, the, what, what is what? <laughs> define it for me. What do you what do you define it as? It's just basically a human-made metric to help better define your problem human space. Human metrics, heuristics. Yeah, I see, see it. Yeah. Yeah, it's all, it's kind of like, um, a heuristic one that we use is like pain points. Where do people find frustrations and you design around those so you can like stack, like what's a big, like a big frustration for like phone UI is not knowing where you're going. 
or like not knowing what you can and can't do. Mm-hmm. So like having a, a scale of that and making something designed to that, and you can you can plot out apps on this scale. So like a really easy to use app would be Google Search. It's as easy as you could probably get. You can search, um, or you could say like a you know the scale goes up as you get to like Excel, where it's like I can do so much, but I don't know what I can do. So I like I love that stuff. I love designing around. But not programming to it. Well, programming you have to take a different tack because the program has to know how to apply the heuristic by itself. Right. So, like, you have to as- you assign the scale every single time. But it's all me made. It's not. There's no program running it. Right. And then when you do it with software, um, you have to set top and bottom on everything. You have to pretty much give it thresholds to work within. Okay. No, no, that's, I'm, I'm guessing that's how it works. I don't know. Oh, so, yeah. So, the example we used was... Do you know that... I forget what it's called. It's like calling this the sliding tile, sliding number game. It's basically 2048. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like 2048 meets Sudoku. So, there's nine tiles and a three-by-three three grid. And there are numbers one through eight and then one blank space. And the goal is to get, starting with number one in the upper left-hand corner, going counterclockwise in order... So mm-hmm. you'll be given a random assort, like so. The numbers will be randomly assigned to the nine spaces, and you have to use uh, a star to organize into the proper one. And you have to find like the optimal path, which usually means like the quickest path. And the heuristic you use there, you can use two. You use the first heuristic is how many. Well, there are a couple we came up with. One was how many numbers are not in the right space. Another heuristic was how far is a number from its proper space. And then for a star, the final heuristic that's always involved is how many steps have I taken so far mm-hmm. so you know when you haven't made a choice yet you're on everything basically has a handicap of zero. Oh, now I see why this is going to apply to like game though because then it's like you can evaluate the the next best course of action depending on what's happening around right. you well it's usually like for pathfinding so like you would like the easiest way to apply it would be a turn-based game because the AI whatever Chess. yeah like, whenever it's the AI's turn and it has to plot a course of its units to your units, it's just doing all this math on the fly, saying, like, okay, what's the shortest route? But couldn't you just do that in a real-time game, too? Because you could just say each frame is a and, new turn? And they do do that. Okay, that's what I figured. Yeah. But, like, the easiest way to apply it is something yeah, like that, because there's the grid put on the map. But there's technically a grid. There has to be a grid. No there is what. a grid, okay. the, but the grid is... Have you ever seen the be, visualizations of, like, AI pathfinding? Where just vectors all go out in a million directions, and then it picks the best course of action. Yeah. It's pretty cool. That's exactly how it works. Yeah. I think that's neat. But that algorithm was created in the 60s. Pathfinding? A star. Oh, that's cool. So, so that's how long that thing's been in use. That's how useful that thing's been. Well, if it ain't E equals MC squared, it's pretty old. F Pythagorean, equals M times A. Pythagorean theorem, I use that shit a lot. <laughs> that's pretty old. Uh-huh. I use it every day. Building triangles. Thanks, Pythagoras. Calculating hypotenuses. Hypotenuse. Yeah, I like mine more. Hypotenuses. My hypotenuse is a jerk. Because my aunt was a meanie. I don't know. That was dumb. That was dumb. You been playing any games? Mm, Destiny. How's Destiny? It's good. What's your up to two eighty six? That's your light level. Mm hmm. So what is light? It's the uh, it's the equivalent of like your. What was it in WoW? Eye level? Eye level. Yeah, it's your gear level. And then it, it inputs 
it's a how the game gives gear to you so it's based on your light level so you, you can only get higher level gear when your light level is higher oh, but also it affects how, how enemies damage you so like if you're not to a certain it's like a uh, gear check okay so but it determines what drops too yeah it influences how stuff drops around you that's cool it's really no it's it's awesome and i mean it's got a pretty good curve it's definitely slowed down as i've gotten higher but i still it goes like before it would go up by like 10 or 12 at a time when you get like a new piece of gear but now it's just kind of going up by like half a level if i get something new or and apparently there's a shelf between 290 and 300 because 290 is the raid level was it orcus at 300 Oryx. Oryx. Is that the one you fight? Yeah, he's okay. at 300, I think, but you can get up to 310. I think or- Orcus is a D&D god. Oh. Yeah. Oryx. Oricus. So, and then I gotta figure out how to actually, if I wanted to do the raid, how would I even do that? Yeah, you need a posse. Yeah. Put the word out. I just keep playing by myself. I don't really like multiplayer, which is weird because Destiny's this multiplayer game. I like that they do. I wish they did matchmaking, but they don't, so. For the raid. Yeah, but it, it doesn't make sense because the raid does have mechanics that are more in-depth. But I still think you could brute force it with a group. Yeah. Well, WoW does pick up raids now, and they always just give you a handicap. I think it's like you take 15% less damage, or you have 50% more health. I forget what the what the handicap is. But like the second you roll into a pickup group, uh-huh. there's a permanent buff for the time that you're in that instance. I just like the, the strikes. They're like the dungeons from WoW. And I always like dungeons from WoW. So. What's your favorite dungeon? In WoW? Yeah. I guess Scarlet Monastery. That's the only one I ever really did that really? often. Really? I never got to the, like, the high level rate draw dungeons. Did you ever do Dead Mines? No, I was a horde. But you can still go into Westfall and do Dead Mines. I thought I was in... No, that's you're thinking of the Stormwind Blockade. The one uh, that's in Stormwind City. Yeah, like I've I'm also gotten one. into that one. That was fun. As a horde person? <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. You die a lot just getting to instance... That's funny. It That's is pretty cool. Yeah. Well, I've been in the I've been in the deep run tram of the horde. Is that the the, uh, the dwarf one? Yeah. Well, that's well, it's not. It's technically an instance, but it's just that big tunnel, that big subway that takes you between Stormwind and Ironforge. That's cool. Wait, is Ironforge the dwarf one and? Yeah, the Stormwind's the human one. And do the gnomes have one? No, the dwarves and the gnomes share one, just like how the orcs and the trolls share one. Because that's right. Because the gnomes used to be in Nomorigan, and then that got all irradiated, mm-hmm. and so they evacuated and went to Ironforge. Hmm. I spent like a good 10, 20 minutes explaining why Dead Mines is so cool to Wendy, because she just heard about Van Cleef and she's like, "Who's this Van Cleef character?" I'm like, "All right, sit down, oh, and let why, me tell you a story." Why would you do that to someone? All right. So first that's off, terrible. in the Second War, Jesus. Stormwind got destroyed. And a guild of masons rebuilt the city, but they weren't paid. I don't want you to tell me the 20-minute story. I appreciate it, though. And because they weren't paid, they formed oh, the, God. De- the Defias Stop. Brotherhood. Stop. Why would you put anyone through that? I guess... I liked WoW a lot. It was cool. There was a lot that was just... It was like being at Bush Gardens. Did you see the pictures that came out of New York Comic Con? Of the Weta Workshop? Stuff oh, the that movie they made. stuff? Yeah, it looks crazy. Really? Because they show, because they had Lord of the Rings stuff there, and then, which is funny, because they just show the, the pictures I saw were just the Lord of the Rings dwarf stuff, which just, you could easily just mistake that for Warcraft stuff. And then they show the Stormwind City guardsmen uniforms. That's so cool. the big silver pauldrons with oh, the blue okay. accents. 
and then the big shield, and the shield has the lion's head on it. Yeah, that lion's head's pretty uh, iconic. Yeah. So yeah, Destiny's cool. I think. Oh, we Tim downloaded the Battlefront beta. It's oh, cool. Star Wars. Yeah, it's all right. I don't know. I really like the animation and the way it looks, though. It's yeah. so good looking. It's very pretty. And it, they just they nail. There's this locomotion on the jetpack when you use it that is just incredibly satisfying, and it feels like I don't know how to describe it. It like you're you're moving and you just it just rips. You. It feels like it's moving faster than your character was even ready for, because the initial there's an initial burst of momentum and it slows down as it goes up. But it's all very fast, but it, it feels like someone just slammed the gas and out from under you. You just shoot up. And there's a really good sense of, of like pendulum momentum where it's kind of like you feel yourself swing forward and then come back. Oh, okay. Uh, I mean, you're, it's still a, it's, it's a diagonal path that you go on or revert, depending on the, where you're, you are going. This is just that Hoth level that they've been showing? No, there's another level in it. Uh, there's two. Tatooine. There's three. Endor. There's one. On Tatooine, one in some, like, shore of some sort. I don't know what the shore, shore. is. Oh, it's probably that. Is it that one from... No, this is all original trilogy, right? I don't know. There's someone that loves Star Wars so much. Yeah, I guess <laughs> I should know. But I didn't really... I mean, I was just watching him play it. Um, Does he like it? Did you play old Battlefront? Oh, yeah. I love Battlefront 1, okay. too. Uh, Evan and I used to play it all the time. That was, like, our go-to game. I just love... I don't know. I'm a sucker. My brother has like all of the droid Lego minifigures, but all the different colored ones. So he has like the orange one, that's the pilot, and then mm-hmm. the green one, and then the red one. And I'm a sucker for that too. Because I just loved going into the class selection screen. Oh, and seeing them all. Be... He had the Dark Trooper. Yeah, he was cool. The Dark Trooper was super cool. Droidicas were cool. Super Battle Droid. Super Battle Droids are pretty much in Destiny. They're called Minotaurs. Oh, really? Yeah. But it's cool. It's It It doesn't have that sensation that the first one had where it had these... Looks like a Jaeger. Yeah, it does look like a Jaeger. These um, disparate classes, or at least I don't feel like it feels like there's one class that you kind of develop up. So that's kind of a bummer, because I kind of like when you could play as, like, they felt dramatically different. Like, the Rocket Trooper felt different than the right. Cypher Trooper, the Scout Trooper, and that was fun. But the vehicles are cool... Watching TIE Fighters in that game made me realize how impossible a TIE Fighter would be to fly. Just from a physics standpoint? Because it's just a flying H. It's a flying bow tie. That's what I've heard. It doesn't make any sense. Well, a bow tie at least would have lift if you had the, the angles. Okay. The, the, there's no, there's nothing there that could provide lift. Unless like the struts out to the TIE wing things, I don't know what you call those panels, Yeah. were angled up. And then those are just big rudders. Did you um? Well, did you ever hear George they Lucas's cool, George Lucas's explanation for? I went a long time ago to not listen to his explanation. <laughs> no, but this one's great because he was talking about like how the Death Star laser works. He's like, so there's something, some sort of converging thing that makes all the lasers come together and then collect and make the big laser that shoots out. <laughs> because I think oh, that's what happens. It looks cool. Yeah, but that's not how lasers work. So what? It's a movie. You Who gives a cri- shit? But you were just criticizing the... the I wasn't criticizing. I just thought it just, uh, they never have ever looked stupid to me until I saw them in the game. Okay. I wasn't giving a shit either. I was just... I just think it's I think it's cool when shit looks stupid and fake. I know I, it looks stupid and fake, but like when it looks... it, The idea... like It's just a big fucking laser that blows planets up. 
That's pretty cool. I want one of those. Let me get one of those. I want a flying H. I mean, the X-Wing shouldn't fly either, so... You want the ship from Borderlands? The big flying H? That's a moon base, though. You could, I could see that. It's just a big satellite. But it's in the shape of an H. Yeah, the I know, but I mean, a lot of satellites are, though. Because you could have the satellite go out and then the solar panels on the sides. I was trying to make a joke, but obviously it didn't play. Oh. Uh, you know what's funnier is when you say you have trying to make a joke. Uh, I guess they don't look like that. That looks like an eye. No. It's just a line. Like that. Okay. Yeah. See? Is that is that star, uh, sound wave from Transformers 3? Probably. Look at that guy. Satellites are so cool looking. Just hanging out outside. There's a bunch of them, dude. Look how many there are. Look at that graphic. <laughs> there's at least 12 satellites on that graphic. No, nah, there's, a, there's a fuck ton. We're back! We're back. Damn it. So, what are you implying, Dylan? It's a very special day, time, year. Why are you looking at me like that? What did I do? <laughs> so, I was looking at my apps, my game apps on my iPhone. and Who plays games on their iPhone anymore? Well, who has an iPhone anymore? Seriously. Not you. Yeah, because I... Progress to a better software package. <laughs> I'm at a higher state of being. I can use my shit however I want to use it. So, anyways, no, I want to talk more about this. I'm just kidding. So, I was looking at the apps, the icons, and oh shit, what's the guy's name? The Jetpack Joyride dude. Halfbreak? No, not the developers. The actual character, a Barry, is a character's name. Oh yeah, he's another stuff too. He. The icon, you know how apps, they always update their app icons, like, oh, it's Christmas, so we're going to put a Christmas tree in the background of our app. He was, oh, it's Arbor Day. It's a tree now. Still a tree. This is my Halloween tree. <laughs> On Christmas, they don't change it. You know, like, the most obvious thing to do is to make it a Christmas tree. They're like, fuck you. <laughs> we're on Christmas. Happy so, holidays. Yeah, yeah. They just cut the tree down. They went to someone's <laughs> just house. a stump. Dude, that'd be better. Barry was wearing a, like, multicolored pearlescent hat. I had no idea why. Until I realized... How did you know it was pearlescent? Because it was all shimmery and shiny. How is it shimmery and shiny? Let me get to my point. No, I want... Do you understand what pearlescent paint is? Yes, I know what pearlescent paint is. You're crazy, man. The light has to hit it, and then it changes colors. (sighs) Anyways, he... Was was the app icon animated? No. Oh, okay. He was wearing this hat. That was... Multicolored. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> and I didn't know why until I realized that this is the month that Marty McFly goes into in Back to the Future 2. Yep. So everyone is celebrating Back to the Future 2. Yep. So there's a special version of Jetpack Joyride, but it's Back to the Future themed. Did he ride a hoverboard? He does. Typical. So have you ever played Jetpack Joyride? Yeah, I played, I played the shit out of it uh, yeah. a few years ago. So the only vehicle in the game is the hoverboard. What? So you can switch I like the teleporting one. Well, so you can switch it back to classic mode, but they have this back to the future mode, and I kind of like it better because in regular Jetpack Joyride, if you hit anything that can kill, you, it's a one-hit kill, mm-hmm. right? In the back to the future version, instead of having only one bit of health, there's a timer. And every mm-hmm. time you hit something, you lose 10 seconds. And when the timer hits zero... Your, your run's done. Okay. So they just wrapped it in Back to the Future and implemented this new gameplay hmm. structure, which I really like more because I hate hitting something, you know, having a really good run, and you hit, you fuck up once, and the, the run's done. 
unless you have bought tens of thousands of hearts, which I have. I have like 52 hearts on standby, but I don't use them because I'm just afraid of just burning through all of them. Yeah, what would happen if you burned through all these fake hearts? Then I'd be out of hearts. Oh, no. <laughs> you play games way longer than I do. So, the timer, I think you start with like 25 seconds. Okay. And the timer's constantly clicking down. As they do. And there are just little flux capacitors flying through the air that you have to collect, and it gives you like extra five seconds. You ever been hit in the head by a flux capacitor? I bet it hurts. It's brutal. It's a bad day. Mm, could, could be worse. And then his jetpack, so he's wearing the hat, and he's wearing the jacket, the red jacket from mm-hmm. Back to the Future 2 that his future son wears, and the jetpack is just an electric guitar. <laughs> it's, just, it's just shooting out lightning when you use it. Okay, that's cool. And when you get the hoverboards, the only vehicle you can get is a double jump. So you hit it, and you can jump up, and you hit it again, you jump up again, but you have to land again before you can use the double jump again. That's kind of cool. Yeah. I like the robot that runs. A little stomper? Yeah, he's cool. They introduced a jet ski later on. Did you ever get that one? Mm -mm. So if you get the jet ski, hit the vehicle, switch, power up, and the entire room floods, except for like the upper fourth, and you just ride on it with your jet ski, and if you tap on the screen, he goes underwater. Like wave race. And the longer you're underwater, when you let go, he jumps higher. Mm -hmm. So you have to like bob up and down. Yep. That's pretty cool. Maybe I should download Jetpack to my ride. I really like the Back to the Future one because I like there being a margin of error that you can yeah. have. That your margin of error can, is just zero before. But yeah. Did you see the uh, the Pepsi thing that it co-opted with it? I heard about it. Did you tell me about that? Well, he came and told us that when he came and spoke. And then they showed the, the clip. They're showing the old, the old Pepsi stuff. Because it's the glass cylinder. Yeah, it's plastic, I think. I don't know. Whatever. It's transparent. It's a big tube. It's a tube, but it doesn't unscrew itself. So that's bullshit. Wait, did it do that in the movie? I thought it did. I don't know. Maybe I'm assuming it's because their shoes tie themselves, the other things unscrew themselves, <laughs> doors open Just themselves. everything. The whole building's falling apart. It fixes itself. Cars drive themselves. Nanobots. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Genome shit. That's cool, though. Jetpack Jetred. Yeah, I liked it. Alright, what else have you been playing? Uh, that's about it. Oh. I, I haven't touched Broken Age again. Yeah, I kind of want to download I mean, I downloaded it, but I might, I might play it. Play it. So we can talk about it. Time, man. It's six hours. Yeah, that's... What? <laughs> Dude. I'm not saying play it all at once, but I'm saying just take an hour. But that's six hours I could be playing Destiny. Or Metal Gear Solid Five, or finishing The Witcher Three, or but finishing like, Mad Max. But if you commit to Broken Age, you will finish it, and then we'll finally have a game completed that we can both talk about instead of me talking about the endings of games that you've never seen. I, I'm, you still, gotta, I don't I'm, finish games. I'm still waiting on you to finish Shadow of Mordor so we can talk about the ending. Ooh, yeah, I should finish that. You're not gonna finish it. If maybe around Christmas time, I'm not gonna finish it between now and Christmas though. I got an email, I was like, classes will continue through December or something, and I was like, oh my god. December what? Like, after exams? For... No, 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 we go up until exams. We don't, I don't think I have exams. I have a bunch of final projects around then, but... Well, hearing what your regular projects are like, I can only wait for what a final project in those classes I was thinking about the other day, I was like, man, every one of these projects were, like, semester-long projects before. 
And now they're like three weeks. Yeah. And they're expected to be better than they were. I mean, it's good because I think that... What's grad school? Yeah, but your first semester, like, you usually take three classes a semester, but the first one they make you take four. Right. You tell me that. Yeah, that fucks everything up. I think you take three moving on. I I hope so. (laughs) Five. Nah, I know know the second year is considered not easier, but less stressful because... Well, you made it through the gauntlet. Well, you get more time to... Everything's focused on developing your portfolio your second year. Like, every class is about making portfolio pieces. Your first semester, they don't give a shit about you making portfolio pieces. They want you to learn... And watch brand learn. center way, yeah, and then you can go make portfolio pieces. Well, I'm kind of like I'd like a portfolio piece, yeah, but I don't know. So I'm learning action scripts. Yeah, how's that? It's not that bad. It's actually it's it's just Flash development, so it's not. Is it similar to JavaScript? Yeah, in the way that Flash was kind of. I mean, they're all it's starting to all bleed together for me. Where like the syntax is similar enough that like jumping from one to the other isn't as hard anymore. Like getting, I mean, just starting with even with just doing like basic, like understanding how markup works, then understanding how styling works gave me a sense of like logic, and then understanding how JavaScript works and the DOM and like what's going on, like MVC style, like that kind of stuff, like that helps understand a lot. What's MVC? MVC, Model Viewer Controller. Oh, yeah, no, that's what we used for titanium development. Yeah, it's like that's like the basis for a lot of like, yeah. So, um, not that bad. Plus, I get Linda. So I just do that. What is Linda? Just a tutorial. It's like a teaching software. Oh, right. You told me about that. Um, and it's not bad. It's it's uh, it's pretty interesting. But there are so many of those online education platforms. It's a good thing. I mean, yeah. It's just, which one's the most reputable? Is it edX? Is it Udemy? Is it Khan Academy? Is it Code Academy? Is it... I think it's whatever works for you. Code Academy, I think, is okay. Because it does the thing. But I think Code Academy teaches you how to do... A bunch of tutorials mm-hmm. and teach you actual application because they can't do that and that's something the only like projects or classes could give you mm. of like here's the parameters do it however you want and that's where I learned the best where people are like we need you to make something that does this and I'm like okay I will figure that out I don't like doing the like alright you need to do this then you need to do this now do this you probably wouldn't like programming classes then no, I don't think I don't think I'd ever want to be a developer, um, but I like I think not knowing if I want to design stuff for the space. It's just not knowing your materials, and that's just like no sculptor would be like I don't want to learn marble, but I want to make a marble statue. I'm like that's like, that's stupid. Well, then you're fucked. You don't know how the material works, right? So like, yeah, yeah, that's how it was, and I'll constantly just re- refer back to my first semester of programming like those assignments if I need to remember if I need to refresh myself on oh how do I read in a file how's the file reader object work how is well, the subject like, work when you go work somewhere too that all that will become you'll get a workflow that you need for your job yeah that will just that I think that just doing it every day also helped me just understand like how to be quicker at it not that I'm quick at it now at all I'm slower now than I was a few months ago but how to just understand that there's a, there's a means to pretty much every problem at this point. There's mm-hmm. like nothing that can't be. It's just how how arbitrary are you gonna make it? Which most of my things are still like crazy daisy chains of like, well this will cause this and then this will cause this and then it'll happen. So, um, speaking of jobs, <laughs> you yep. like that? Unless you own that one. I was reading up about the Steve Jobs movie the biopic that's not a biopic 
Why isn't it a biopic? Well, I'll, I'll get to that. But okay, the <laughs> so it's coming out October twenty third. I love that day. But there are advanced screenings of it, so a lot of tech websites, journalists have have seen it already. Mm-hmm. And they did a viewing, I believe, in New York, because that's where the Verge is headquartered. And Verge editor in chief Neelai Patel did a viewing and then an interview with Aaron Sorkin and Danny Boyle, who are the screenwriter and the director, respectively, for the movie. And a lot of interesting stuff came up about Steve Jobs as a person versus Steve Jobs as a myth versus how Aaron Sorkin approached it and how Danny Boyle... And the first thing that you realize is you have... Go look up this video because it's really interesting. And the first thing you realize, you have Neelai Patel on the left, you have Aaron Sorkin in the middle, and you have Danny Boyle on the right. And just by the way they're dressed, you can already kind of tell their personality and their their profession. Because I'll start with Aaron Sorkin. Aaron Sorkin's kind of more... He's not buttoned up, but he's more dressed up. He's like wearing a nice jacket, nice suit jacket. He's got a collared shirt underneath, you know, slacks, whatever. And then Danny Boyle to his right is wearing like an old comfortable jacket. It's like, you know, more casual wear. He's wearing jeans. And then he's got like his wiry hair everywhere. He just kind of looks like he's frayed or on end. And then you have Neelai, who's kind of like the average between the two because he's wearing a tie, but it, and he's wearing, you know, kind of professional clothes, but they look kind of disheveled the way a tech journalist should look. Yes. But you can tell that Danny Boyle is the creative mind, picking all the shots, doing all these creative ideas that they that mm-hmm. he's known to do. And then Aaron Sorkin is the one that kind of like sat in the background and breathed life into it, and he was more analytical about that. Okay. And you can kind of tell by the way Aaron Sorkin talks. Did they come out and say that? No, this is just my interpretation. I feel like Aaron Sorkin would take offense to that. Because Aaron Sorkin is, like, prolific. No, I think Aaron Sorkin is a great writer. I'm just saying that I can see he's a great writer as in he can see the machine behind the art. Like, he can piece it all together. Because when he talks, he, like, he's not a good public speaker. There's a lot of ums and uhs and stops, and he has to think and piece his words together. Which I'm not knocking, because yeah. we do the same thing. Yeah. But... It made me appreciate what he said more. It made me understand the working relationship between a screenwriter and, and the director, director yeah. and all that stuff. Because sometimes the director, sometimes the screenwriter isn't involved after the screenplay leaves their hands. A lot of times. Yeah. So just going in the director's hands. And and, a lot of people it. don't have the sway that Aaron Sorkin has. Oh, sure. Production. Right. Most, I think, I don't know many writers that are as, like... You have him, you have the Coen brothers that write their own shit half the time. And Charlie Kaufman works pretty close to mm-hmm. directors. But I can't think of many others that I would know on, like, like Aaron Sorkin and uh, Alan Ball are two that I can, like, name off the top of my head. What's Alan Ball written? Alan Ball wrote um, American Beauty. Okay. Uh, Who directed American Beauty? Sam Raimi. Really? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yep. That is not No, that. Sam Mendes. Sam Mendes. Sam about Mendes. To say, it's like... Where's Bruce Well, you know Campbell? why I have them confused, right? Why? Because Sam Mendes was attached to Warcraft for a while. And then Sam Raimi was. And then Sam Raimi was. Oh. I think. Let me look that straight. I know Sam Raimi was attached to Warcraft. Sam Mendes, Warcraft. I swear he was. But maybe not. Well, anyway, so the... Oh, no, he directed the Bond movies. He did Skyfall. Did he do the ones before Skyfall? No. Huh. Everyone's pissed off about Spectre, though. 
Oh, did you hear like the the quotes from mm-hmm. Daniel Craig? He's done. Well, he's not like done. Well, so Maybe apparently Warcraft. Apparently, those quotes were mispulled because Polygon had an article that said <laughs> Daniel Craig would rather slit his wrist than. Yeah, it was really weird. One. It was super, super. It, it, the whole reporting shot is super fucked up. I didn't, I didn't understand that. Yeah. But it made it sound like like he was done with Bond, where in actuality he was just super tired. He's just been doing the same role for ten a decade. He's been working, and he, they've been making movies consistently. Like it's that's a demanding schedule. And he had to write one of them. Wait, Mendez or Craig? Craig. Yeah. He had to write Quantum of Solace. Or he can oh, he contributed Quantum to it. Quantum of Solace is so bad though. Yeah. No, I don't. I mean, fuck that, dude. I it it was so unfair to what was actually happening that it was. It was just it was poor journalism. It was poor reporting. Yeah, that's why I don't like reading those things. They do it all the time. It's just it's it's so annoying. It's like it's a, it's like they're no better than like BuzzFeed or like it's bad reporting. I like BuzzFeed. I like BuzzFeed's in depth stuff. It's pretty good. Bloomberg Business is like my go to. Like I like everything for any reporting. Out. Their reporting is just good. They have a really good style guy. They have a really good. I just I like their writers a lot. They write really well. I'm not saying these other sites don't. Who am I to fucking judge? No, I, but I know what you're saying. Just don't like... Um, There's a consistency to Bloomberg clickbait. business that I can trust. All right. And like, in terms of like always being skeptical about news. Bloomberg. Who else is really well? I like all the Wired stuff. I think Wired always does a good job. But these are all also like businesses that were formerly rooted in print that have editorial staffs that were run by guys that were on like hardcore, like that would get fired for the stuff before and now it, it just be, doesn't matter. Right. And that's depressing. Cause oh. I think it's lowering the... And Polygon has good... Like, that article about John Marston, the voice actor, is, like, one of the coolest long-form video game articles ever. Well, I still think, outside of their long-form stuff, Polygon's still trying to find a voice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, because, like, what they? they have, like, seven different podcasts now. They have, you know, they're, they're on and off with their video stuff. Sometimes they make, like, comedy videos or playthroughs, and then sometimes they have long-form videos. like Because the, the editorial staff roll over. That makes sense to me, because they just can't... They haven't... I know they've had, like, a few people consistent. Same with The Verge. Wait, who's left Polygon? I feel like everyone's been in and out of Polygon. The only one I know is Arthur Geese. I don't know anyone else in Polygon. Or the, the... It's a lot of joystick guys. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's it's... Justin McElroy. Justin McElroy. Is he still there? Yeah. Both McElroy's are still there. They have, like, one of the most popular podcasts on iTunes. (laughs) Yes, they do. Why are they still reporting on games? Because that's what they enjoy doing. I should just go do podcasts. I like what Greg Miller did. I kind of find things pretty cool. But he's still doing game reporting, isn't he? Mm, he, I think he's he's owning up. The way that Jeff Gerfman always... They always say journalism in quotes. (laughs) Okay. I like that. So, anyways, back to the Steve Jobs movie. So the 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 talk afterwards was a lot about cuz they purposefully changed some of the facts in the movie, which is why Aaron Sorkin doesn't call it a biopic. Okay. So the, the I mean if he's coming out and saying that a biopic, right. I can totally of course. So his comparison was they said they're not journalists. Good. They said they compared it's like a photograph versus a painting and what they're doing is more like a painting. Because okay. they're doing an interpretive piece. Okay. So the entire movie is done kind of like Birdman, where it's like a bunch of long... It's three long shots, and it's real time. So it takes place backstage during the product announcements of... Each. I know. I know, I know the framing. It's the... Yeah. The original iMac. Macintosh. The, the iPhone's the last one. No, no, no. The, the iMac's the last one. They don't go to the iPhone. They stop at 2001. 
or 99 or whenever the original iMac was announced. Because don't they do the announce the product announcement for NXT? Well, they talk about how Next got bought. Um. So that was another thing. So they make up this lie about how the Next computer didn't have an OS, hmm. so they would be bought hmm. by Apple because Steve Jobs had always been always planned on Next being acquired by Apple, which isn't true. Right. But that's what Aaron Sorkin needed to, to get the plot to move. Yeah, on. to push it and. A lot has come out both against this movie, like Tim Cook has spoken out against this movie. As he probably would. He was friends with Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs' widow. She's furious about it. Spoken out against this movie. And they both actually come out against Walter Isaacson's book. Right. Who Steve Jobs requested to write his book. Right, which I think is ironic, and I think it kind of boils down to the point, which, I don't know, maybe to you, was obvious the entire time, we're never going to get the truth. Like, there's so many different interpretations of who this person was. Well, you said you didn't need, you don't need the truth. His legacy has been, if you knew all the batshit crazy stuff about, even what's out there about JFK or Abraham Lincoln, it dictates so much about how these people work is not important to what they did. Um... And I think that it's cool to make these movies, but I also think that the same with the Facebook movie, same with these very quickly released post-mortem, or not even mortem for the Facebook movie, it's, we are coloring how the culture views these public, you know, essentially heroes, without doing the due diligence of understanding, like, people, the Facebook story, regardless of how it happened, everyone believes the social network. Right. You and I might not, but the, the general culture accepts that as fact. Right. And the Winklevi have been cast into an evil light because of it, and they might be... They don't seem like they're very smart guys. I, obviously, they're smarter than me. They fucking made it. They both went to Harvard and... And rode in the Olympics. And rode a double, or no, a okay. pair. But, um... I just think that there's something about... It's just that it just, it's icky to me that people are so fascinated by these people when what Steve Jobs did really well was enable other people to work to their full potential, even if it was through means that are not... Whatever they are, he was running a show in a way that it worked right. really fucking well. Yeah. And I think, you know... Well, Kate Winslet talked to uh, Joanna... I forget what the full name of the woman she plays in the movie. She was on the Macintosh team. And through talking with her, except for Michael Fassbender, they all spoke to the, the people they, they're playing. And Steve Wozniak was a ad- advisor on the screenplay... She said that they got to understand a side of Jobs, a very kinder side, that was less talked about because it was just personal interactions. Well, and a lot of people were burned by the guy. Yeah. And I think that, you know, when you make a a piece of work that you're not going to call a biopic about someone, the people that had a bad thing about him would be the first to talk. I think. That's what I think. I wouldn't want anyone. If I died tomorrow and they asked people to write about me, it it would... There's no one. No one has the time to think about it because no one has the time to think about anything. Um, Steve Jobs has only been dead for what, seven years? He died in 2008. No, he died in 2011. Didn't he? Yeah, that's what I mean. So we're, we're so four years. It's not even that long. Like, um, well, I mean, Mark Zuckerberg isn't even dead yet, and now he has that. And like, but that, we're not talking. But the social network isn't about Zuckerberg's legacy, though. No, but it's about him, which is what confuses me. It's like, why, why does Tim Cook or Steve Jobs' widow put so much stake? in this movie because or this book when Mark Zuckerberg in The Social Network is painted as like a sociopath. Eh, he's the hero though. 
He's the hero. Okay. There's no doubt, and this was never. You're not fooling for Zuckerberg when he's in that meeting, and he says, "If you would have invented Facebook, you would have done it." That's like, that's like the the thesis of that movie. Like he's the fucking man. He did it. Okay. Like, there's no doubt. Like Zuckerberg, he's a dick, but everyone's you know, if you want to be successful in that space, in a highly egotistical, highly cultured, highly whatever space, you're gonna have to step on other people. I don't think they train you to do that in those schools you know and I think I'm sure Zuckerberg has relationships that he's had to piss people off but also he's so young too where it's it's cool to have a movie made about you when you're how old is Zuckerberg? I think he's 30 now 30? yeah like Steve Jobs had families and, and, and people that knew him better and a whole a whole life you know Zuckerberg can get out tomorrow and be like that's bullshit you know so that's 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 why I understand. I can understand why people would be upset, but also it's okay. You know, Steve Jobs was also a powerful figure, and he he had a lot of influence. And it was this is what's going to happen, and that's okay too. It was weird that George Bush had a movie made about him. You know, You're talking about W. Mm-hmm. Which I kind of liked. A lot of people don't like Oliver Stone for whatever reason. It's because Oliver Stone's kind of a monster. Yeah. Okay. Um, I've never paid much attention to Oliver Stone. I like Oliver Stone. You made pl- Platoon, right? Mm-hmm. I love Platoon. Platoon's great. Never seen Platoon. Platoon rocks. That movie's so cool. I should watch that. That movie's brutal, though. That's William Dafoe. Yeah. Who else is William Dafoe being fucking cool. Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen. That movie rocks. Dude, you should watch Platoon. That's a good movie. I saw that at a really weird age where, like... Because when you're a kid, you, you find stuff... At least I did. Like, war... Is fascinating because they're these cool looking like tanks and hell like it's just it's cool it, it, it appears to very like that part of like when you're a kid where like violence is is, is interesting well it's like kids that draw like tanks army weapons right, or right, guns right. and, and stuff I wasn't, like I wasn't that. like a big army like kid but like I thought like those big bomber stealth planes look cool you know the same way that you you play Call of Duty and you think that it's fun mm-hmm. like that that part of your brain but I saw a platoon when I was probably in middle school with my dad. And it was, like, when you're starting to realize, like, fuck. Like, violence is actually, like, real. People really do get hurt. So I think I hit it at the right age where it was, like, man, I don't want to go to war. And then I was really scared I was going to get drafted for the next decade. <laughs> he also directed the Doors movie, mm-hmm. which I've never seen. But starring um, Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer is yeah. uh, Doors. Yeah. And Val Kilmer's so cool. I love Val Kilmer. Well, I think he rocks. I think the Doors movie kind of runs parallel to Steve Jobs movie because all the living band members of the Doors came out against that. It's like it made him look like a drunken drug addict idiot. But you know, if they made a movie, I I can simp- I can understand that. You know, and it, it sucks to see. It's that it's like people can't understand outside their immediate friend group. So, like, us going to a movie and seeing Steve Jobs, we've never spoken to Steve Jobs. It's just, it's celebrity. That's what it is. It boils down to celebrity. It's, like, people who are celebrities or people that are in a public light and you see, there's a part of you, there's an abstraction to them where you don't see them as people to a certain extent. I'm not saying you dehumanize them. No, you, you're, you're, I agree, I agree. But everyone who knew them and then sees that and then they don't agree 100%, it's like, you're not telling their entire story. It's like, well, I can't tell their entire story in 120 minutes. No, and I under, I think I can appreciate that. I just understand where the widow's coming from. Yeah, it's tragic. I don't think there's any right way to do it though. I think that you you can try to tell it through us, you know, as a another character who's 
schmeesh mobs or something and like you say well whatever <laughs> this is kind of this but right. you know that's not gonna sell tickets and as long as it's a business but it is it is it is gross exploitation of someone's life but i don't think it's entirely exploitation i think it's a balance if it makes a fuck ton of money i'd say it's exploitation i don't think aaron sorkin or danny boyle came are exploited it. no i don't think they are i don't i don't think that they're i don't think they like are like we're gonna yeah, take fuck you. Go cash dog. in on this. Pee on your grave. Should have got that cancer treatment. But it is. I think that if they didn't see it as slightly exploited, I mean, even if their intentions are genuine and they want to make this, it's a good story. It's a cool story. The the Facebook stories are fucking awesome. I love the Facebook movie. It doesn't mean it's not exploiting a a thing. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. But uh, I mean, I agree. I mean, I was thinking about that. It was like. This movie, as powerful and emotional as people say it is, like, it still had to be greenlit. By people, and it it's made to make money. And that's, I mean, because if I were to make a movie about me, right, it wouldn't be exploitative, because I'm making it. But every time I cast myself in a good light, some people might be like, well, of course you do that, right? So I'm exploiting my position of to make a movie about myself. Like, there's the movie that um, Howard Stern made about himself. Wait, really? Yeah. Huh. It's, it's not bad. I think it's called bad words but, but it's not a documentary it's like no, an actual it's, like a, it's, fucking, it's a movie it's, it's weird he's playing himself which that always freaks me out but what's cool about it well it's like being John Malkovich no that's the best way to do it because that just furthers the fucking enigma that exists around John Malkovich's life he's the man he's so cool but it's I think that if, if, if you can have that reaction where you think it's kind of disingenuous to make a movie about yourself I think you also have to have the reaction that it's disingenuous to make it. Like, if I was to make something like that, I would recognize... I would have to come to terms with the fact that I am exploiting in a way. Right. It's not a bad thing. It's yeah. just that, you know, it's what we do. That's the risk you always run with commercial art. Right. Well, and it's just as I mean, you make video games, you're exploiting violence. You know, you're... you're you make Minecraft, you're exploiting Java. I don't know. <laughs> exploiting Legos. Minecraft's really cool. That's the thesis of this conversation. Glad we got to that topic. Um, let's take a break. We're back, Dylan. We're back. Minecraft's still cool. Oh, it hasn't changed? Nah. In the last 30 we seconds? Actually, we didn't even need to take a break. It's literally been a minute since I paused it. I just had to make sure it's saved. Wait, did you save it? Yeah. Oh, okay. This is not cool talk for the radio, Dylan. All right, we're going to talk about one more thing. That's it? Well, all right, we can talk about a couple more things. Okay, you pick something. I want to talk about the new Far Cry trailer. Okay, let's talk about Did Far Cry. Did you watch it? Uh, I watched... You motherfucker. No, I watched you it. You had one assignment. I watched a video. I don't know if it was this one. Here, I'll, I'll pull it up right All now. All right, I'm pausing you. No, 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 I'm no, pausing no, no, the thing. No, no, you can't no, no. watch it live. It's going to be stupid. No, no, I've seen it. I'm telling you, I have seen a trailer for this movie. I'm in This movie, this game. Is this thinking, game exploding mammoths? Is this the one where he's laying on the ground? Yeah. At the Yeah, and they're crawling and they're hunting? Yeah, yeah, so I've seen this. Okay. And, and then the Sabretooth comes out at the end. So how do you feel about Far Cry's exploitation of... <laughs> of Sabretooths? Of Sabretooth Tigers. Do you think Sabretooth... I think it's shitty. If a Sabretooth Tiger was alive... They're an endangered species. Fucking stoked. Imagine the widow of that Sabretooth. <laughs> um, so I think it's really cool. Cause I think everyone kind of was burnt out on Far... I think it's, it's, it's cool because it's... If you're going to annualize your franchise the way that they do... You gotta mix it up. The thing that's so exciting about it is that I still think the Far Cry mechanics are really fun. I mean, I, I think that Far Cry 3 changed game development for people making open world action games because the base camp system was so fun. Right. 
because it's like this makes sense in an open world is that we can design this massive world and have these little pockets of design gameplay that is still evolutionary of the player but how is that going to come across in a world where you don't have a gun I mean, I use the bow a lot. The bow, you have throwing spears, and also the melee, like the sneaking up on dudes was super satisfying. But I'm saying when it turns from that stealth to the active combat, it's going to be so much slower. Well, they're going to, I imagine they're going to make a, a crazy melee system, but first person melee can be really fun too. So this is just going to be rust with Well, with what towers. was the one game with Mother Father? That game had an awesome. They should just rip that one. Mother Father? Yeah, it was a, an indie game. I've never heard of this game. Yes, you have. No, I haven't. That title doesn't seem familiar. Father, mother. Hello, mother. Hello, father. No, stop that. Is father, mother. It's father, mother, and it's in... Canine Advantage. Xenoclash. Oh, okay. Xenoclash is so cool. So it's a character. Yeah. In Xenoclash. But that game pretty much had the punch-out system in first person. It was awesome. The punch-out system? Yeah, like, each character has, like, an obvious tell. Okay. You need to exploit it That's to cool. kill them, and if you get, like, overwhelmed by people, it's really hard, because one-on-one, you can kind of take on anyone, but they would throw these kind of, like, three or four groups. It was kind of like what Assassin's Creed people would always complain about, how they would take turns fighting you, oh, but in yeah. this game, they would take advantage of the fact that they could... Right, someone be behind you. That's what they do in uh, Shadow Mordor, which I really liked. That's what I'm saying. So, I think... I just think it's cool. If you're gonna... Like I said, if you're gonna have this... Far has done really cool stuff, I think, as a franchise. Over and over. Like, it might be one of my favorite franchises in gaming because I love Far Cry 2. Far Cry 1 set the stage for, like, non-linear, like, styles of approaching situations, which is why Far... I don't know if Far Cry 1 came out and, like, blew everyone's mind. Well, that was because it, that was a Crytek game, right? Like, mm-hmm. didn't have and a huge vitality. Amazing. Well, Far Cry. No, yeah, yeah. I get it. Um, and then Far Cry 2 is one of my favorite games ever and probably, again, like, Platoon hit me at an age where it was, like, super influential. Far Cry, like, changed what I thought you could do with games uh-huh. even if it wasn't the most fun Far Cry 3 that game just blew me away because you just had so much control in first person the same way they kind of like Dishonored gave you that control you know what this game makes me think it makes me think some designers were like we can't get driving right cars never feel good but whoa whoa if we just took them all out the helicopter felt really good though in Far Cry 4 I never played 4 oh I got it with my hard drive huh. I thought the helicopter felt good the driving in Far Cry Far Cry 4 fixed the driving. Oh, okay. Because they weird. let you auto-drive. I just hate slow... Oh, because you could get, like... The, you could get the you, pad. And you could shoot. Yeah, so you... And you would just tell where you were going, and it would... And that, to me, is the solution. Yeah. It's just, it, like, you, the turning ratio on all the cars was so bad. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean... Well, I, and, the point I was getting to is that Blood Dragon was really cool. Yeah, well, that's what I thought this was. I thought this was Blood Dragon for 4. Right. And that's something that everyone... It's just... I just think it's cool. And I think it's a cool setting. It's not dinosaurs, which is super cool. <laughs> it's not... Was it Horizon or, Zero or, Dawn? Yeah, that's a bad name. But... Well, I'm just talking about it's that. It's gonna suck to come up with a name. Like, that was probably such a hard process for that studio, for Horizon Zero Dawn. And the first reaction everyone has is, that game looks awesome, but the name sucks. You know what? This is why I told you when I first saw Horizon Zero Dawn, that first trailer. I was on board until they showed the fucking robots. I know, the robots were cool. No, and I love that. It was like, oh, oof, oh. But their robot design was this, really good, too. This is basically Horizon Zero Dawn without the robots. That's what you wanted Horizon Zero Dawn to be. Right. I don't know if I'd say it's Horizon Zero Dawn with the robots. I mean, it kind of feels like it. We, 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 I bet we, there's a... I we bet don't know what either of the gameplays are for those I, games. Well, you know what Horizon Zero Dawn is. It's like more... It's Monster Hunter. Yeah, it's more robust Monster Hunter. But this is... Monster's not Monster Hunter. No, I'm saying Horizon Zero Dawn is more robust Monster Hunter. This... I bet there's a huge hunting mechanic involved. 
Because what else could you be doing in this game? Besides, Dude, if it's a big survival game, tribal though, warfare. That's fucking rad. That's so cool. Fallout Four comes out this year. You're not. Gonna, you're not gonna finish it. You're not gonna start it. Because you're gonna be dead before it comes out. Spoilers. Steve Jobs, rest in peace. Rest in pieces. Um, Sleep with the fish. <laughs> you're an idiot. <laughs> oh, you're so Italian. I'm. I just think it's cool. I, I think, think it's, it's exciting for. I like when big budget studios kind of. No, I. Th- I think you're right. I think I wish more of Ubisoft's output was this, this kind of risk taking. When I think that the next Assassin's Creed, whatever it is, has to do something like after Syndicate. Yeah. Because Syndicate looks so... What if they just killed it? What if they I just they... killed it here? Dude, like, no, no, not in terms of, like, it being bad, but what if they purposely... Just ended it? Put a bullet in it. Dude, I, even, like, the 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 reaction to Guitar Hero and Rock Band this year makes me think if they just put it on ice for a few years, like, just two years, so that you can be like, yeah, I'm ready for... An, like, people were ready for another Arkham Batman game right. this year. You know what I mean? Because I was like, all right, we've had, like... <laughs> Arkham City and Arkham Asylum are so close. It was kind of like, well, that's a lot of Batman. Uh, you forgot about Origins. Right. Why everyone did. <laughs> well, it makes me think, like, why do these franchises need a rest while Call of Duty can still churn every year? Well, but work? Call of Duty Ghost... That was their first misstep. No, Modern Warfare 3, I think, was that way, too. But I think what Call of Duty had happened was is that it was everyone was really cold on Call of Duty, and then Advanced Warfare came out. And they just did kind of they didn't they mixed it up. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I don't think you have to radically change. Like, you can still act like a massive company that needs to make decisions that are stakeholder, but you can still do things that are going to make your creative team more excited to do new work. Right. Because I mean, if I was a studio that had to make the next, like being EA Ch- Tiburon that does Madden, has to be just. Well, you never have enough time. Well, you well. No, no, no. You have a year. I know that, but I mean, like, their their development pipeline at this point has to be thinking, they're thinking about the next next project while they polish the one project. Mm, from what I've heard uh, from the Bombcast, when, like, Gershman or someone would talk to someone from the Madden team, they'd always, like, they gave us two years. No, I've heard, I've heard of that sentiment. It'd be great. But the thing is, is, and they did that with NHL one year, and NHL came back and, like, blew everyone's mind. I think. There's one year. But my point is, is, like, I guess that, like, with that comes a added level of, like, job security and stability and... It, it could work really well. Because the game industry is, is can be either... You're either working for Blizzard or Riot and... Having a great time. Or or not. No, EA's still enormous. No, I'm not, but, like, you're not treated as well EA. EA's worker satisfaction has been way... They get ranked pretty high. Do they? Yeah. I think EA's in the top 100. They used to be the worst company in America for a while. Yeah, but I've worked for the worst company in America. It was still good to work there. EA Glassdoor. But Blizzard's a good company. I mean, there's a... You gotta have... I mean, that's not, not terrible. You gotta have Wawa. Work-life balance is very good for the games industry. EA still has no <laughs> kinds of work-life balance. Long hours. Just don't... My don't, old boss worked at EA. Just don't be a part of Maxis. And he liked EA. I don't know. What can I say? I've never worked <laughs> at EA. Well, but the thing is, is that, like, this complaint here... Was it named the company the White House because of all the politics going on there? <laughs> like, that's every massive company, dude. That's every company, period. I've decided that I'm never just... What? People are the biggest problem with everything. <laughs> I want to make everything. You solved it. You solved the problem. I did. I fixed it. If you kill all the people... Post-scarcity. No, I don't want to kill anyone. Just make food that can be printed out. And give everyone a house. I mean, there are plenty. In mm-hmm. Detroit. Yeah. 
I was telling Sarah about that, how like, you can buy a block for like 100k in Detroit. That's a lot of... We can, we can make a dev studio in Detroit. Big RC in Detroit right now. Make a... Get a RoboCop statue, put out front. No. <laughs> Did you hear about that? Yeah, the Kickstarter. Yeah. I don't know. It was years ago. I don't think it's happened yet. That's because Kickstarter. None of it happens. Oh, Anyways, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. Seeing stuff like that, like as I'm starting to like consider, like, all right, if I wanted to work in the games industry while we're still incubating a thing, right? Because I, I still think that, man, having industry experience just ups your ability so much. Just because your Rolodex gets bigger. I agree with you. Um, I mean, look at look at all the, the indie studios that came out of Irrational. Well, and all of those are so much more successful than any, you know... Well, some of them. Like, the Molasses Flood's doing pretty well, but there was the one... No, no, no. I'm not saying they're all... I'm not going like, to guarantee, but I'm saying, like, knowing industry flows. Industry... Okay, yep. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, I'm more confident that I could go start a web dev company... Because I worked at an agency, like I understand client relationships, I understand expectations. There's no surprises. Right. Right. Um, I don't want to do that because that sounds really hard. <laughs> um, wait, the, wait, the business development side or the client relationship side, or all? No, of it? just being being that on top of a of, of space that I just am like sort of passionate about, but not right. You know, and like the we, I don't know. I get it. Um, do you get it, listener? Dear listener. Anyways, so I see stuff like that, and I see companies like Ubisoft. I still feel like they have a a pretty cool thing, and it, it seems like they're pretty. Everyone shits on the Ubisoft game formula, you know. The tower, climb the, the tower. Grow home was really cool. Right. Well, that was Ubi art. I know. I'm well, a... well, what I'm gonna say, if like of all the aspects of Ubisoft, I'm excited. I like I like Ubi art. Of course you do. That just lines up perfectly with the Dylan Elvento list of things he cares about. <laughs> And that, no, I agree. I think that's I think it's a cool initiative, but I think it's also it's kind of cool when you work for a company that does stuff like that. Agreed. All right, pick pick something else. So just segue. Jessica Curie is Jessica Curie. Jessica Curry. Uh, Curie. She's leaving the Chinese room. So she's one of the founders. She's one of the studio heads and the composer for the Chinese room. She's the one that composed the Dear Esther soundtrack. That's an awesome soundtrack. It's just like long, melodious, brooding piano. It's fucking great. It's on Spotify. You have Spotify. You should listen to it. Okay. She's... Did she put it on Spotify? Is that the news? No. No. News is she's kind of... She's leaving the Chinese room, sort of. What? What do you mean, sort of? Well, this is... I'm going to go into it. So, she... So, she lists a couple of reasons why she's leaving the the company. So, she... Like I said, she's she's a studio head, along with her husband, Dan, also runs the company. And Chinese Room made Dear Esther, they made the Amnesia sequel, Machine for Pigs, and they just released Everybody's Gone to the Rapture. And they focus on first-person, kind of narrative-driven exploration games. And some of the reasons why she's leaving is because, one, she has some sort of... Uh, she's not leaving. No, I'm. she's not leaving entirely, but she is reducing her role at the company. But that's not leaving. No, that's why it says she's sort of leaving. <laughs> I don't think you should say that if you're not actually That's what leaving. she says. That's what the article is titled. The article is titled, Why I'm Sort of Leaving the Chinese Room. But she's still the company director. Oh, my God. That's like Bill Gates being the technology advisor for Microsoft. But it's not like he's there all the time. He's still... Company director has a certain tone to it, don't you think? Yeah, but I think her husband's ta- taking more of the day-to-day operations. And she's fo- fo- focusing more on the music and composition. And she's also freelance composing now for other projects. Okay. So 
The reasons why she's leaving. So once she sort lists, of leaving, sort of leaving. She's listed that she even though she has an office at the building. It's true, though. Come on. You have to look at it that way. You can't make a statement like that and not still have an office. But that's not the point of the article. Like, I'm not going to argue <laughs> against the way she phrases her statement. To her, emotionally, it feels like she's leaving because this is a company that she founded, and now she is reducing her role there. Okay. You're just being a dick. I'm not being a dick. I'm the being... first thing I'm going to list is how she has a degenerative illness, okay. which is the reason why she's reducing her role. Okay, but... Do you understand? Mm. No, I get it. So that's one of the reasons why she's leaving. She has some sort of illness. And another reason why is that the working relationship that she had with the publisher for Everyone's Gone to the Rapture kind of stressed her out and burned her out. Because she used her work as a substitute to ignore her illness. Because she thought she could kind of beat it if she just worked harder. And then she admits in the blog post that she couldn't. And Sony Computer Entertainment was the publisher for Everyone's Gone to the Rapture. Because that game is a... PS4 exclusive. And so she cites that as a reason, so she was burnt out by that, and she also cites kind of, despite the fact that she is a, the co-founder and one of the studio heads of the company, a lot of the a lot of the success of their games has been attributed to either her husband or other male employees at the company. And she says she admits that she is a kind of less outgoing person, so she usually lets Dan take care of all of the... I read, I read the whole thing before we talked about this. Yeah, she lets Dan take care of all of the the, the consumer-facing stuff, all the PR. So she's less in the limelight. And so it causes a lot of stuff not to be attributed to her, even though it is. So, like, game design, things like that. You know, she has a, she had a big hand in a lot of things. And then there's a uh, an anecdote in there how when Dan and a group of employees went down, I believe, to Santa Monica, because that was one of the... SCE houses that was helping with development they pitched a like pivot they wanted to make in the design and he attributed to one of the male employees instead of his wife even though his wife came up to it because he knew that would receive less criticism things like that so it was just you know this, I saw this art, a blog post being passed around on Twitter and I think you know it's a sucky thing to have to do I mean she's obviously some of the reasons she's well all the reasons she's doing it suck but she's expressing that she's more interested now in focusing on composition and so that's what she's going to focus on now going forward for their future games and then also projects for other people so she even says in the blog post like if you need composition need music hit me up and help you mm -hmm. out so she might turn into more of like a disaster piece she'd make a bunch of game soundtracks which would be really cool but whatever the reasoning is it sucks when you have to willingly choose to be less involved in something you created yeah i mean i think she's in a hard spot because I, I don't i don't one thing that i i was confused at is when she when they talk about her going down to santa monica the they never go into why dan picked the other member which I think it's it's easy to assume that they thought less of her because she's the wife or a woman. Is that what you're alluding to? That that I mean, that's why I interpreted. That's not what she's saying. I don't think. Maybe. It seems like she's more upset that she's been referred to as Pinchback's wife. It doesn't seem to be a, a gender thing. Well, wife, you're female when you're a wife. No, no, no. But I'm saying that they went into a venture together as a married couple. And because she doesn't want to be in the public focus, she's upset she's not in the public focus and that's fine but you can't if you're concerned about the conversation you have to get in front of the conversation and I, I mean i'm sure and it sounds it's tragic it sucks and it sucks that he had to change it but we don't know if he went down there and they wanted to tribute someone that was there so they could speak on it 
Right. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know how the operations work. And I'm not, I'm a, and maybe it is misogynistic and maybe they were treating her and that's, that's shitty. But also like, you can't tell me you don't want to be in the public light and then be upset when the public light doesn't recognize you. You know, and if, if, that's what, if that's what you're concerned about, then I think she's doing the right thing. She's making a name. Stepping, the line about her stepping away from Dan is, is really salient because it's, it's, she's right. That's what she needs to do. She needs to make herself. And I think she feels robbed because she was as part of this thing that he's a part of. And I think she she has to learn that if he went out and got all the people are going to assume it's his studio. And it, it doesn't matter. Perception is so much more important than the truth. Unfortunately, yeah. Fortunately, it fucking rocks because it's, I mean, it sucks. But if, if the truth mattered, we talked about it before, politics would be so much better if the people didn't have reactions. And I think that she learned a really good lesson. And it sucks that there was a cost to it, but I, I think that if you want to be talked about in a certain way, you have to push that or hire a company to do it for you. Right. You know, but it, no one's going to talk about you if you don't get out there and, and put yourself out there. And that sucks, but you're in the moment you try to fight the perception of something by saying anything other than what actually happened, and she did the right thing. She, she I think she's incredibly intelligent for saying I have to step away and and make a name for myself in a new way because that's how you're going to fix it. Right. Rather than stamping your feet and saying, Pay attention, I'm I'm as much here as you And maybe she did try that and it just did and you know Right. It just sucks that she has to do that plus the illness. No, it's like, tragic. Like, I'm sure I'm sure it's a fucking bummer, dude. I'm not I'm, I think it's cool. Because I think that she'll go out there and people will recognize her as this fantastic composer and she'll get more work and more stuff. And I think if you read the... The, the thing that caught me off guard is that the comment section was so positive. And maybe it's because it's her blog. But yeah, it's the Chinese room. So what, though? Like, that's still impressive. That there is a, a fan base that cares about her and a fan base that respects her and she has all the means to go and be this successful thing. I, I just... I feel like there's more to that story. And it's not her. She doesn't have to tell me the whole story. And I'm not saying there's more of the story to, like, hint that I think that, no, there's something else going on that she's not telling. I'm saying that, like, to me it's weird to say you're leaving a company. I don't know. No, go ahead. Finish your point. That is the point. You say it's weird to say you're leaving a company? And still be the company. Like, you know, I think it, I think that if, if you're going to come out and say a, a move like that, it should be a big move. Because the next time you say you're going to have a big move, people are not going to think it's as big. But also, maybe it's just you want to get it off your chest. And, you know, having a big illness is no fun. And being called second fiddle is never fun. Right. You know, but like I said, getting upset about the perception of something is... It's like the EA guy that was upset with how people... Remember that article about the two that started the company? Oh. And how the one guy is better and the other guy is like, it's fine. Because that guy that said it's fine, it might not be fine. But the perception of being bitter does nothing uh-huh. in the grand scheme of things. I'm talking about Trip Hawkins versus his co-founder. Yeah, and I don't think she sounds better. I don't want to say that. I think she's. I think everything she said is incredibly. It's good. It's I, cool. It's just she's taking the the good with the bad. It's like she's enjoying making this change, but a lot of the causes for this change are negative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't go into business with your spouse. Yes, I would never do it. Because that's just the, a the last thing I want to do when I come home is talk about work. Oh, I've never. <laughs> huh? So I had parents that you know work in a business together. Yeah. Had have. <laughs> uh, 
And yeah, that's basically every dinner. That sounds awful. Well, it's well, it was worse because they live they because my parents are hairdressers, and they work in an industry that is very vain, very based on personality and things like that. So they'll just come home and just complain about their coworkers. It's not even about like, oh, so what are we gonna do about X, Y, or Z, or how can we improve this? It's just. Oh, did you hear about what Kathy was talking about? Burr, 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 burr. Well, that's that's human nature, though. No, people, I humans gossip. I know, but like people talk about shit about people on the crew team. We're on the team because it's people around every day. Yeah, but in the same vein, like those are the conversations I remember. I never remember them talking about like, oh, how can we improve the business or what can we do this X, Y, or Z. As I was growing up, like those are the conversations I remember. That makes sense. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I just I I feel like it's it's human nature to to vent. About stuff like that, and you know, some maybe dinner isn't the best time to have a conversation about the business purpose for the next two years. Sure, but also if it is the, you know, it, it, it obviously made an impression on you, and I'm not, I can't take away from that. Right, and I don't, you know, I'm not mad at them for doing. Well, I'm mad at them. <laughs> it is frustrating because it makes it sound like they're not happy with their job, but but no one's happy. <laughs> <laughs> Look through life through a very interesting lens. Yeah, if no one's happy, then I'm always happy. Dude, the thing is, is that to me, like what she was going through or what you know I, I think at a certain point it's it's natural because it's so hard to be in a committed relationship with someone and be separately successful while in the same venture because as soon as one of you is viewed differently than the other like it, it could have gone the other way you know and, and, and maybe a misogynistic society like skewed it a certain way and that sucks but if she was number one and, and he was left behind I'm sure he would have done the same thing because at a certain point you want to know someone you're, you're that close with I would never be able to you know I just I don't know <laughs> it just seems like it would be really hard to go home and talk because you just you have to get away from work you have to or you can't make cool stuff you just can't like you see a lot of stand-up comedians that have kids and have the best careers of their lives after they have kids. Or game developers, I think, that have kids and they, they start working on projects that seem really cool. Or they, they move companies and they get a different perspective. Or, you know... Wait, so how does a kid play in that? It, like, gives them it a fundamentally break. changes your life because okay. you can't dedicate. People that just throw themselves... I'm trying to think of people that, like, just exclusively, like... Are workaholics? Yeah. Probably most of the employees at all the tech companies we've talked about previously. Yeah, but these tech companies move to models where they let you get away from work or try other things. I mean, and working's not a problem, but it's 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 not being able to get away from it that makes your your work stale. I don't know. No, I I I, I agree entirely. I mean, we've talked about that how increasing the work hours an employee has in a given week. Well, the expectations. It's it's never it's never gonna it's never gonna work. Like, right. it's not going to increase productivity at anything. It's but, just going to continue to plateau. If you and I were to ever have employees that worked underneath us, there are going to be times where conversations might happen where we're like, man, Dale's in a shit mood today. Like, you're going to talk about... At the end of the day, it's like the same thing with the celebrity thing. About. Like, people are still people. Um, I don't understand what you're trying to say with that statement. What are you trying to say about employee relationships? Oh, I was talking more about, like, your parents going on about... I went back to that thought. Okay. So you're talking about us complaining about I just, think that, I, I just think that there's going to be, I think at a certain point, everyone gets annoyed with everyone. Like it's completely natural and it's okay because it's it's how you manage those relationships and if you can maintain them, it matters. Not if you have a no one's happy all the time, no one's productive all the time. I agree. 
I wrote two whole pages in my screenplay today. And I have 18 more to go. You get still progress though, man. This weekend. Progress is progress. You can't fight progress. Yeah, but it's when it's due Tuesday. Yeah. Gotta be a little quick. You work better with your back against the wall. Unfortunately. So you gotta you gotta learn to embrace it. I work better when I am not concerned about the end result. Right. No, but like I found that I I make I get so uncomfortable making stuff for school because we show it all the time that I get in this loop. Where I'm thinking like, all right, what will people? What do they expect? I don't want to do that. So what do they? What can I make that I still think is cool that satisfies the requirement or doesn't or like subverts it in a way? Right. Or and what if everyone thinks it's stupid? And then like the more that I can speak to the side of me that's like I just don't whatever because at the end of the day if I keep making stuff in this part of me I don't know I'm getting to there's no point there no you had a point it's more that like the, the it's learning how you can work in a way that's productive for yourself that still makes stuff that's interesting and, and indifferent and that's the thing I've never been more excited about I think I'm getting to a point where you realize that. Not everything has been done, and there is space for new stuff. Like there's still space for new stuff. Because like, for so long, I thought that like everything's been done, so we're only iterating, and we're only doing stuff. But there's that's not the case at all. I'm, I'm seeing stuff every day that I've never seen before. Do you know what I'm looking up? No. There is a president. I forget. Oh, he wanted to close the patent office because he said everything's been invented. Yeah, he wanted to close the patent office. Uh, it's a big expenditure. <laughs> we don't need this, right? Mm. Look at this. Billions of dollars just going down the toilet. Just cut that. Sir, that's the Department of Education. Fuck it. Just cut it. I'm doing much. Yeah. Arnie Duncan. Oof. He's cool. I like Arnie Duncan. Who? Um, Arnie Duncan, Secretary of Education. Oh. I think he is. He was in the first term. He was when I was in Teach for America. <laughs> Did he, was he the one who like, wrote your letter? Acceptance letter? I don't know if he wrote my acceptance letter. I don't, I don't know. I still feel kind of bad about that. But, so yeah. I think... You'll be able to do your screenplay just fine. Oh, Don't thanks. You're going to do great. And I hope the best for Jessica Curry. Yeah, man. And what's more tragic is she's sick. Yeah. That sucks, dude. Yeah. But mm. everyone should go and either listen to or buy the Dear Esther soundtrack because it's awesome. Mm. Yeah, you haven't even listened to it. You can't even what? Mm. Well, give me that. Sad pianos. <laughs> it's really good. I'm just kidding. I probably like it. It's probably not going to ever... No game soundtrack will blow me away than like... The Bastion soundtrack. I knew you were going to say the goddamn Bastion It's so Bastion fucking good. It's so good. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's okay. You can't judge it, but... What do you mean I can't? I've played that game. Yeah, well, I'm just being mean. Oh, okay. At least you're honest about it now. Yeah, that's what happens. Alright. Alright. We're going to talk about... What's next? No. Um, one more. Alright. Um, if it's a short one, two more. No, do a short one. We're It's already super long, dude. We got we to wrap this up. It's an hour 30. That's long. Nah. <laughs> pick one. You pick one. Incredibles 2 coming in 2019. Okay. What? <laughs> then you pick one. Dude. That's a <laughs> shitty fucking reaction. You pick one. Well, what were you going to talk about? I was going to say how I felt about the sequel to The Incredibles. But... Well, nope. You pick one because no. you had your sober-ass response, and now you get to learn from your mistake. No, I want... It's just... I wasn't... Nope. You're learning today. No. Yes. Tell me about Incredibles 2. Tell no. me about what you think of The Incredibles 2. I don't think it needs a sequel. Tell me why. Because it's so perfect in my head, and I don't want them to ruin it. But we're talking about having expectations for things. You can't go into that sequel. It's still Brad Bird. John Laster's still going to be overseeing it. Like, nothing's changed. No, I, I'm sure it'll be good. And they have four years. I think, uh, I think it's fine. 
Right. But I just am bummed because I think that The Incredibles existed in the same way that, like, Pulp Fiction, Fiction exists to me in this, like, perfect space. Like, it's just... We lost a little bit. Did you save it? Oh, the podcast? Yeah, there you go. Okay. <laughs> so my point was, The Incredibles 1 was about Syndrome trying to prove that the world can exist without superheroes and The Incredibles trying to figure out if that was true or not and trying to grapple with that idea of whether or not they need to exist. Mm-hmm. And Incredibles 2... I would like it to be about now the world has welcomed them back and how does that world now openly accepting superheroes, what do they do with that? That would be interesting. I mean, I, I think that's what Civil War, yeah, to a certain extent, would probably touch on. Yeah. I don't know. I just also think it's a weird time for The Incredibles to come back because The Incredibles came out when superhero culture hasn't, wasn't... When it was a lull. Yeah, it was kind of like this weird... Incredibles came out like right before the first Iron Man came out. What? Incredibles came out way before that. Oh, maybe it's time together because I saw them both with my mom. Incredibles came out like when we were in middle school. Iron Man came out like junior year of high school for us. Yeah, you're right. Never mind. <laughs> well, and then it kickstarted that. So yeah, that's the Incredibles too. I don't know. I just I feel kind of I don't know. I don't want to ruin it, but it could be awesome. It could be my favorite movie ever made. I mean, I think it's not gonna change the first one at all. No, but I think if anyone has a good track record of making good sequels, it's Disney. But what was it called? George Clooney, Brad Bird. Oh, Tomorrowland? Yeah. You never remember the title of that movie. Weren't you really excited on that movie? It was. It looked super cool. And then it just, apparently, it just came out like a, I don't know, felt like a rock. All right, pick one more article, Dylan. Okay. Oh, this is actually something I wanted to talk about. This this is more of a topic than it is an article. One thing is kind of tying back to the Aaron Sorkin, Danny Boyle interview. And then there's also this article in Gamma Sutra called, Want to Write a Better Game? Try Watching Some TV. And it's written by someone from Remedy. Okay. And they're kind of biased about... No, I love the model, though. I love Alan Wake, and I love G, uh, Metal Gear Solid. I think it's a fucking Oh, making idea. episodic like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm trying to... Because I've taken so many semesters of prose creative writing, and I'm taking a semester of screenwriting, and I'm trying to understand what the proper format for writing for a game would be. And there's this part in, when they were interviewing Aaron Sorkin, and they said that... Aaron Sorkin, the reason he kind of broke Steve Jobs into like three big pieces that are in real time is that he's more of a playwright than he is a screenwriter. He's oh, always, yeah, he's always he's always had that line. Right. And mm-hmm. that's how plays are written is that it's basically one big scene and it's continuous. Mm-hmm. But a screenplay is all about the art of the quick cut is how my professor describes it. Yep. You're here, you're there. You're like a scene, should, a scene should never be longer than like three minutes at most. Mm-hmm. And most of the time it should be a minute. Mm-hmm. And it's just jumping. So I'm trying to figure out where games writing lies on that spectrum because I feel like a lot of the medium has borrowed from film. Right. Maybe not always for the best. Okay. And maybe a game, at least in the writing sense, should be more like a play. I agree, yeah. Because it's a one big continuous scene. And then there'll be cuts, like, say, at the end of a level. But look at Portal. Portal is just continuous the entire time. Portal's are two hours. Right. Well, and that's what a play is. But for even a longer game... You could argue Portal 2 is an axe, though. Yeah. that's I'd say Portal 2 is an axe. Right. But it's it's several long, continuous scenes and then broken into axe. So that's still the play format. It's just like, this is okay. one play, this okay. is another okay. play. Okay. So maybe it does match that TV episodic structure. Maybe or Telltale, which is literally... Right. Or maybe not. I'm not sure. I think that... Are we blown to a point? No. Okay. Um. Good. Because <laughs> here's your point. No, I think that what's cool about ep- episodic, because games are expected to be 
longer than a traditional movie anyways. There's something about episodic that also compartmentalizes the experience in a way that matches getting fulfilling arcs in and a okay. gameplay session, which I think is really cool. The Witcher 3 I thought was really good because the quests that were the most fun of the ones that you could do, it they were probably longer that you get this investment of time. So as a player, you've, you've given your resource, which is time, to the game and you've, you've learned and you've, you've developed, but also they wrap up in a way that makes you feel like you're making progression. Does every quest, can every quest be finished in like yeah. a gameplay session? Yeah. So, but the good one, the ones that everyone talks about, like the Bloody Baron, which is probably like at maybe in the long run, but like three hours. It's still like one or two. Right. You know what I mean? Where like in in Fallout or Skyrim, like the, the through line narrative is always hours. Right, but like you move around. But there are quests. There are multiple quests in that chain. The best quests in Fallout though are the ones that like hour, hour and a half. Replicated Man or uh, the Antagonizer. All the ones where you go to the vault with the with the the green guy in it. That one's cool. Oh, the one with Vegas. Fox in it. Yeah. Oh wait, no, that's that's three. What green guy? No, he's like a tree. Oh, that's in three. That's uh, Harold. I thought Harold's in New Vegas. No. No. Anyways, those are always my favorite ones. Or even. Look, like the famous Fallout 3 quest line where you can blow up Nuketown. It's mm-hmm. a cool short experience where you mm-hmm. just shoot from the sheriff and or Megaton. <laughs> Nuketown's Call of Duty. Oh yeah. <laughs> Whatever. So I, I think that the, I think it's a good lesson. Yeah, it's just something something to think about because I think pacing in games is still pretty off because you know the structure that we're currently getting out of is cutscene, gameplay sequence with voiceover, cutscene, and so like you're supposed to get all or most of your story in the cutscenes and then this gameplay narrative. I don't like that compartmentalization of the separation of the two. Of gameplay and narrative? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I, I, think we, I think the games have moved away from that as the technology's increased, though. Right. Well, would Last of Us or Uncharted be the same if you took out all the cutscenes and then took all that writing that was in the cutscenes and then made it interactive? But, like, didn't have the camera shots of a film that it has? I love staging stuff, though. I think that that's cool. I think that lending gravity to what you do as a player is also interesting. Cause yeah. I think that you, as a game designer, you can take control away and you can give it back. And what would normally be a shooting sequence, like a shooting gallery, which is already out of place in Last of Us anyways, is way more interesting when you know Joel's purpose. Because then you, as a player, feel enabled with his purpose and you feel like, like, I, my adrenaline was pit. Like, I was angry and I was like, well, I will be this violent monster. And that, that was contextualized in a way that I think you could only do if you frame it that way. Now, would it be cool if you witnessed it from the gameplay? Sure, but you don't have that forced perspective. So I could be over here looking at, like, stencils, or not stencils, like, doctor tools while they're cutting Ellie up or whatever, and, like, that, I'm making that up. That doesn't oh, actually okay. happen. I'm trying to give you a, a sense of something. Right. Well, they do that thing in, like, Gears of War. It's, like, hit Y to focus on the... And everyone makes fun. I think it's cool. I think it helps. I think, because I put subtitles on because I don't want to miss stuff. I don't want to miss things. I mean, I like Bioshock Infinite's approach where all the story is done. Like, it's and it has the advantage of being a first-person game, so everything can be framed. With... Oh, Bioshock is great at it. And, it. and even when you're pulled out of frame, it's still in the, the gameplay frame. There's no, It never pulls out. Yeah. That's what I don't like. And that's why I don't mind The Last of Us, because you see Joel from this... You always see him from a camera, so it makes sense to see him on camera. It's kind of like why Fallout's kind of a bummer, because they are backing you out of what is normally a first-person experience. At least for me. I always play Fallout in first-person. No, no, I do too. I wouldn't... God, no. I wouldn't play it third-person. God, person. no! Is that, does, that, does that qualify for a God, no? Yeah, because it's bad. Bethesda's third-person gameplay is bad. Yeah, like, yeah. that's why everyone got pissed off about the uh, Elder Scrolls Online. No, I don't want to play this third-person. Like, this isn't how I play Bethesda yeah, That was games. made by Kesmai, guys. Oh, well, sure. Like, it wasn't the same group, but it still had that feeling. No, I, I, agree, I agree. People had that bad, bad taste in their mouth. But, well, so for Fallout, 
four, I think it go, it does the math, Mass Effect style. No, I don't think it's fine. I just it's just kind of weird for me because I, I did like that. It was you, like you were personifying. Me, and like when I pick a dialogue option, it's just like that's what I would say. And they always write like a tone of voice that I can identify with, which is just cynical and sarcastic. Right. Now yeah. you're gonna watch someone else say it for you. But I don't like it because they don't say it the way that I would say it. I was told the other day that I'm very good at saying things that are really inappropriate and they're still funny somehow. I took that. I was very proud of that. That was like <laughs> the, like the best comment I've ever received. Like someone told. Tip your hat. Or someone told Sarah when we were like a brand sort of thing. Like he says stuff that's just so wrong, but it's funny sometimes. I was like, oh, I did it. I did it. They understand me here. I was meeting with our uh, track head for one of our projects. He's like, that's a really cynical way to look at it. And I'm like, you gotta get used to that, man. <laughs> Welcome to Mason Brown. I called call some some software that we're revamping as a just glorified phone book. And he's like, well, I mean, yeah, I'm like, that's what it is. Damn, I'm so pissed about this present. Oh well. All right, Dylan. War podcast. Anything else you want to say? Nope. We should put these online this week. I should what? Oh, yeah. We should. Or I should. You should. One of us should. Yes. We have time. That should be the goal. Anything else? Any update of the games? Mm, nope. All right. We'll have updates next week. At least the website. We'll have a website up. All right. We have a website up. It's up. But there's no podcast on it. Bye. Bye.